Hi, I'm Clara Moranville. My husband and I are the pastors of the church, and we're glad that you're here. Very glad you're here. Um, some of our young people are at a retreat right now, uh, InterVarsity retreat, and um, Karen is part of that. And the 24th, they're going to go the 24th. So we're going to pray for them this week because I might forget that you're next week. I thought you could. So we're going to pray for them. So can we extend our hands to this couple here? Is Cabrina here? No? Not yet. Okay. See, where? You're going? Oh, awesome. So some people extend their hands on to him and extend hands to them. We're just going to pray because I want God to really come. It's just an opportunity for folks that they've been working with in college to know Christ and receive him. It's awesome. Father, we just thank you, Father, for um, these young people, Lord, that have committed themselves to you and to being a light in their community. And Father, we pray that every young person that needs to go, that needs a scholarship, will get one. Father, there would be none that would be denied to go. But more importantly, Lord, we pray that you, Holy Spirit, would have opportunity to have your way with them and that they would come to know you and love you more. And Father, we pray that you would bless um, this ministry um, at UTSA. Father, we pray that um, it's a little group, but Father, we pray that it would be a group that increases with every year um, that goes by. And Lord, that they would bless that community, bless that university. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, we're glad you're here. Okay. I am going to ask you all to move forward because people are sitting in little seats that are not little people. And um, sometimes folks come even as late as now, and they're very uncomfortable to move to the front row. I know how that is. So if you all could just move one row forward, those who can move. Thank you. Okay, so we've been back to school now for about three weeks. Yeah, so traffic is a lot more predictable in the morning and the afternoon. Our nighttime shift of falling asleep seems to be getting more regular, and um, it's getting darker in the morning. You all notice the changes happening. So I heard a little story of a guy named Joey. After summer break, he went back to school, and his teacher, after three days, calls the mom and says, Mom, I want you to know that Joey is misbehaving already in class. And Joey's mother responded, Now, wait just a minute. I had him for three weeks, and I didn't once call you when he misbehaved. <laughs> now, um, any of you guys know who uh, Bill Cosby is? He's still alive. He's from my generation, so yes, he's still alive. And he wrote a book called Fatherhood, really a very funny book. And I, I don't have his accent or the flavor in which he says things, but I'm going to read a quote from there. So you decided to have a child. You decided to give up quiet evenings with good books and lazy weekends with good music. Intimate meals during which you can finish whole sentences. Sweet private times when you savor the thought that just the two of you and your love is all you will ever need. You decided to turn your sofas into trampolines and to abandon the joys of contemplating reproductions of great art for the joys of frantically coping with reproductions of yourself. And then he asks himself, why? Why? <laughs> Poets have said the reason to have children is to give yourself immortality. 
And I must admit, I did ask God to give me a son because I wanted someone to carry on the family name. Well, God did just that, and now I confess that there have been times when I have told my son not to reveal who he is. (laughs) You make up a name, I said. Just don't tell anybody who you are. And then Cosby said, immortality. Now that I have five children, my only hope is that they will all get out of the house before I die. So that's Bill Cosby on parenting and child raising and, you know, what's yours? What did God think about them? Now, I want to do a little disclaimer before I start teaching here is that context, the text that we're going to look at today is not a catch-all for every problem that we're going to have with parenting and child situations. I mean, what do you tell a child when the child is more spiritually mature than the parent? What is it that the child is supposed to tell their parents when they tell them you cannot go to church? Or other complex situations like when there's abuse in the home. What do you tell a child concerning this verse that we're going to study today when things like that are happening in their home? Now there's a lot of scriptures about parenting and child raising. A lot in the Bible. A lot of scriptures refer to that, but there's a lot of scriptures in the Bible that are for parenting that never include the word parent or child in. And we're going to look at some of them. So as we go to seek to understand these couple verses, my hope is that you all will become stronger in having deeper relationships, not just parent-child relationships. Because basically, God's strategy for reaching the world is the church is families. That's his strategy. That's how we're going to get the world to understand that God makes a difference. Because when people see that the gospel makes a difference in your life, the gospel becomes attractive. Okay, now we've been in a series in the book of Colossians. And we've been started from the beginning, and we're now at chapter 3, verse 20. And um, in this section, we talked about it being a format that Paul uses when he's using instruction. The format is called household codes. He talked about wives and husbands. He's talking now about children, parents. Later he'll talk about slaves and masters. And so we're in the context of this household code, this statement that we're looking at today. And we're going to look at a couple of the parallel verses. We've been looking at Colossians, but we're also going to look at Ephesians and then at uh, Exodus. So what we're going to do, the first verse, which is Colossians 3, 20 through 21, we have this section, if you all could read out loud that one. This section here, you're going to read the Ephesian passage. And this section, you will read out loud the Exodus passage. Okay, you ready? Let's try Colossians first. Ready? Here you go. Children. Okay, good job. Children, obey. Exodus, honor your father. Okay, so you live a long, full life in the land of the Lord your God is given to you. Okay, now um, what we find in all these verses, just like we did when we did the study last couple of weeks on husband-wife relationship, 
that Christ is the center of what we're talking about. Okay, Colossians 3.20, for this pleases the Lord, Ephesians 6.1, in the Lord, and Ephesus, Ephesians 6.4, of the Lord. For Paul, all of life is to be Christ-centered. He must be the center of all our relationship. There is no sacred, secular relationship. Okay? There's, that's not possible. In Colossians 1.17, same book that we're studying, it says, Everything got started in Christ and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to the moment. I think he does hold relationships together. And so if he's to be the center of our husband-wife relationship, parent-child, he's the center of your relationship with your hairdresser, the policeman, the teacher, right? It doesn't matter, okay, your CPA. He's to be the center of that relationship. Christ is the power by which we can be great children, and Christ is the power by which we can be great parents. Without Christ in the mix, it's not possible. We cannot do it. We don't even want to do it. Maybe you've listened to um, the next couple of talks. You might feel a little sense of failure. But I want to encourage you, don't. Okay? Because all that means is you've been doing it on your own strength. That's all it means. But in power of God, his forgiveness and his power, we can do the very things that we're going to be studying today. Okay. So we're going to pray, and then we'll get started. Lord, I just pray that we can really resist the temptation to say, I already know everything there is to know about this verse. You know, for our kids who've been raised in the church, it seems like the top five verses that they taught in Sunday school is obey your parents. And, Lord, I just pray that you would break that arrogance and that pride off of us and that we would be teachable because, you know, Lord, we're your children and we're somebody's child. And there might be something in here, Lord, today that you would want to bless us with understanding. So, Father, I pray for the help of the Holy Spirit for me to speak and for us to learn together. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now, if you did not get an index card, ushers, if you could go get some. And those of you that did not get an index card and a pen to write with, could you raise your hand because I, I want to do something here. It would be very helpful to me. You know, I can write sermons on my own with the Holy Spirit, but it's really nice when you all get to give me some input. So just keep your hand raised until the index cards and pins get to you, okay? And what I want you to do with this index card is I want you to write down a question or a problem about parenting or child rearing, or being a child or being a parent. Keep your hands up so they can see you. Okay? (laughs) You need something bigger. Okay, hold on. Okay, uh, maybe it's a scripture that you read that just does not make sense. You're not really sure how that applies or whatever, about parenting or child raising. Maybe it's about your own childhood. Okay, something that happened in your own childhood, you'd like to have someone talk to you about it or whatever. Now, you're not going to put your name on this card unless you want to. Okay, I just want you to put these questions down because what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at them this week and either I will have addressed some of them this morning or I will try to next week. Okay, so you guys get to help me write my sermon by putting in those questions. Okay, so questions about parenting or being a child, your childhood, 
Maybe a question that a pre-believer has asked you and you don't know how to answer it. You know, I don't raise kids. I don't know how to help them. Go ahead and write that down, okay? I'll just give some time to do that. And then ushers, hang out here because you're going to collect them in just a, a minute. Okay, ushers, can you come up forward here? Just come forward here. You're Eddie. You helping out? And just kind of stand here in the ends. Just collect them from folks as they just turn them in to them. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. And if you need to keep writing, that's fine. Just uh, find those cards. Uh, I have a pink and black bag. Ronnie, can you raise that up in the air? That bag there. So it's got pictures of my kids. Just stuff them in there, okay? If you still need to write them, just stuff. It'll be there. You can stuff them in there. Okay. Now, I want to start by sharing something that I think is really foundational for us to go with this topic, and that is understanding God's motivation in giving us commandments. I mean, isn't ignorance bliss? You know, the reasoning behind that logic is, you know, if God had never given us the Ten Commandments, then we could sin all we want, and we'd never know we were wrong and never feel guilty. It's all God's fault. Okay? But we need to understand that God is motivated by love. Everything he does is motivated by love. Every commandment he gives us is motivated by love. Always, always his love is the reason why he does what he does. And it's foundational for us to get this as we approach these scriptures because if we don't get that God is motivated by love, we're going to have a really hard time doing what he tells us to do. It's going to be really hard, especially when it's something we don't want to do. Okay, now, I'm just giving an example. This is a real obvious one. Do not commit adultery. Now, if you've watched TV or the move, went to a movie, probably this was in there, all right? I mean, the entertainment world does not honor that commandment at all, right? Okay, now, basically, you know, God, you're not a lot of fun. Why do you have to be a killjoy? I mean, it's really kind of fun to sneak behind my spouse's back and get away with it. No one's going to know what's the big deal. But committing adultery has a lot of repercussions. Okay, what are they? Anybody? Raise your hand. What is the repercussion of committing adultery? What, what are some things that can happen? Shame. Destroys marriages. Lost of trust. Okay. Ezra, you have one? Destroys love. Loss of friendship. Confusion. Destroys family. Disease. Guilt. Destroys your kids. It abuses your children. It confuses your children, yes. It messes with your relationship with God. Do you think God's surprised? Surprised? You had no idea that was going to happen? No, he knew. I mean, don't you think he wants to keep children from suffering through the insecurities that that can happen in their lives? I mean, don't you think they want, doesn't he want children to understand that they can trust their family, is going to be secure, is going to work out. My parents are going to work out on the marriage. They're going to be committed to me my whole life and to each other. I mean, don't you think he wants to spare adults from some of these things you talked about? 
Absolutely. So when I look at God's commandments, one of the things I keep in my heart is this fundamental truth that God does it, says it, from, because of love. And he really knows better than I do. That really helps me to listen to him. So if God, when it says here, the reason why God is pleased when children obey his commandments, it is not because he's an egomaniac. It's not because he's a killjoy. It's not because he's a dictator. It's because he knows it's an opportunity for us to be blessed. She is going to be blessed for this. His life is going to go well for him if he chooses to obey me. It's not, oh, Clara, obey me today. Gee, I'm going to have to bless her. You know, that's not the motivation at all. Life would go better for us if we would be willing to submit to God's love by submitting to his commandments. We can cheerfully come alongside the vision of God to love us. Remember last week? We talked about cheerfully coming alongside to the vision of love. Remember that? And it's the same thing here. So let's look at verse 20 in Colossians, where the phrase says, Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Now the word pleases has the sense of delight. So some versions translate it, For this delights the Lord. I mean, can't you just see God going, Yippee! Like, wow, she chose to obey me today. Oh, look, he's doing it. Awesome. Because now I can bless him. Now I can open the gates. It's just going to come and come, the blessing, the blessing. It's not this, you know, whack, I'm going to hit him for doing that. He just sits back and gets an opportunity to see blessing come upon your life. Now, when I was 18, some of you have heard this story. Some of you haven't. When I was 18, I became a Christian, all right? And I, at that point, was enrolled to go to um, University of Southern California. I had scholarship grants. It's going to be awesome. Okay, so I go there, and I can't stand it. I hate it because every single teacher is teaching a bunch of nutsy stuff, totally void, void of God, and I just I couldn't stand it. It was just messing me up. And so I, my friends were going to a school called Lookout Mountain, Tennessee, which is a Christian school in Tennessee. Never been to Tennessee. And they're all going there. They're my new friends. They're all going to go there. Well, I want to go with them, right? You want to go where your friends go. And so I went to my parents and I said, hey, mom and dad, I'm going to go to Lookout Mountain, Tennessee next year. I'm going to transfer from USC and go there. Now, I want you to know this. At the time, I was not living with my parents. Okay? Just to picture this picture. I was living with another family, a Jewish family. I was, had a, a room with them. Okay? So I'm not living with my parents. And my parents told me when I was about 14, Listen, if you're going to go to college, you're going to have to work it out. We can't help you. So I worked my butt off. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just worked really hard to get scholarships and grants and to be able to make it so I could do without having debts, right? And so who are you to tell me I can't do this? I'm paying the way. I'm not even living in your home right now. And I didn't say any of this, but it was definitely churning in my head. And so I was very respectful and just was quiet. Okay? You didn't sass my dad. Okay, so then I went to my pastor the next, sometime after that, and said, Pastor, you will not believe what my dad said to me. 
And so I tell him the story, and I'm laughing. Of course God wants me to go to Lookout Mountain, Tennessee. I mean, it's a Christian school, for goodness sake. And he said, Clara, in the Bible, it tells you you should obey your parents. Now, you know, from 18 to 19, I was about 19 now, I had read the Bible several times already. I just loved the word. But I happened to miss a few verses. And I said to him, I'm, I am serious. I said to him, show me that in the Bible and I will do it. I was that committed to my God and his word. So he showed me Colossians, he showed me Ephesians, he showed me Exodus. And I went, oh. if I were a cussing person, I would have said, oh, blank. You know? So I said, okay. And I did. So I went back to my parents and I said, okay, I appealed. If I find a Christian college or university in California, will you let me go there? And they said, okay. So I ended up at Westmont College. Now you all know that at Westmont College, I dated a wonderful man who's my husband. The best gift God could have given me, and I would have missed that opportunity if I had neglected obeying God's law. And God was saying, awesome, she's going to meet Randy and have fun with him. And I'm going to give them joy, Tabitha, Esther, Priscilla, and Mercy. And I was waiting. And they're going to work together and they're going to do this church thing and they're going to love it. They're going to love the ride. I would have missed y'all. I wouldn't have met any of you. All the people I've led to Christ never had that opportunity. Would have missed it. God is awesome. So when we keep this in mind, the second and third words in the verse is, children, always obey. Now the verb, hupakuso, is the imperative active voice. Okay, we did a little bit of grammar last week. We'll do a little bit today. And basically imperative means command. And when it's with the active, it means Keep on doing it, continually doing it, okay? That's what that means. Now, I know here in this verse it's translated always in this version, but it does not mean always as in absolutely in every situation obey. What it means is, kids, this is going to be a little hard for you, but keep on, keep on obeying, keep on, keep on, keep on. Because as you keep on keeping on, I'm going to bless you. Now, I appreciate that Paul understood that kids have trouble. And so that's why he put the imperative with the active. Because, you know, just blanket is not going to get the job done. But encouraging them to keep on doing this will help them. Okay, I failed today, but I can try in 10 minutes. You know what I mean? Okay, so now, there are... As I did research, commentators are not in agreement. Some literally believe no matter what your parents ask you to do, you should obey them. But I have a problem with that. And some of you may be asking, even when they ask you to do something evil, right? Are you asking that question? Maybe that was on your paper. I don't know. And the reason why I have a problem with this is that I believe there are qualifiers within the text. I want to ask you a question. Who was Paul writing to? Corinthians, believers, no, not Corinthians, Colossians, believers, right? Okay, Colossians 1, 2. Let's see if you know what you're talking about. 
We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. I believe the qualifier is he's talking about Christian homes. He's talking about Christians who understand two attitudes that must be in the home, submission and love. Now, remember verse 22 from Ephesians 5 from last week when we talked about this, remember where he says, mutually submit to one another, and he was talking about everybody. It wasn't just wives. Everybody should be mutually submitting to one another. He's instructing husbands to submit to wives. He's instructing masters to submit to slaves. He's instructing parents to submit to children. Wait a minute. Is that reverse? It's reverse from the way it's written, but not reverse in the heart of what Paul was saying. Submission is to be the nature of every Christian relationship that we're involved in. There's a time when parents should submit to their children. Clearly, there are times when children should submit to their parents. And the submission occurs under the vision of, what was it? Love. Remember that last week? You submitting to the vision of your husband to love you. Remember that? This is the cycle of submission. Cheerfully coming alongside love. Void of that, I think we're messed. We're a mess. Okay, now, when a child knows they are loved, they do not have a problem obeying you. They do not have a problem submitting to you. They do not have a problem with that. When they see your motivation, they will obey you. It's much easier to obey you. It's easy to obey someone who loves you. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. You will obey me. You will obey my commands. Is that up there? Can we put that verse up? There you are. If you love me, you will obey me. You will obey my commands. That was Jesus. And it wasn't like, if you loved me, you would obey me. You know when a parent can just say that? They're quoting scripture in a really mean tone. That wasn't it. It was like, if you knew me, if you loved me, you would have no problem obeying me right now. If you knew my motivation, what's behind this, behind this law is a ton of blessing. Way more than you can imagine. That is the heart of that verse. Now, if someone is abusing you, that is not love. If a person is disregarding who you are or disrespecting you, that is not love. There has to be mutual love and mutual submission if we want to see our children obey us and submit to us. In a Christian home, which I believe is a qualifier, love is the qualifier. Each member of the family should surrender their own will for the betterment of everybody else. This is hard. It's a lot easier to shout at your kids to make them obey you. But that's not the way with God. Paul is clearly addressing Christian household in his letters. And he's saying, Christian parents, I'm requesting you to love your children in such a way that they will be able to see your motivation and submit to you and obey you. Now, I do not believe children are obligated to obey their parents if they're commanding them to do something evil or against God's commandments. 
A child's allegiance is to Christ first. His allegiance to Christ trumps parents. Now you may quote me improperly and tell me Clara does not think that children have to obey their parents, that they can disobey their parents. But in the context, what I'm saying is that in Christ, children are to obey their parents so long as what they're saying and doing is not evil or wicked. Okay, now, you might think she's making this up. Matthew 10, verses 34 to 37, Jesus says this. He's going to cause strife. What I just said is going to cause strife, okay? And Jesus knows this. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? Ha! I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother. What? And a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And one's foes will be, re- be members of one's own household. You've got to be kidding. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. There are times when a son or a daughter, no matter how old or how young they are, says, Dad, what you're doing is wrong and I will not condone it. I cannot come alongside with this. Mom, this is not right. I cannot help you in this endeavor. I will not lie for you. Just because we're parents does not mean we can force our children to obey us. If what we ask of them comes against God's way, children are to disobey their parents, end of quote. Oh my gosh, she said it. Children are to disobey their parents if what they're asking them is against God's law. Now, we all know really broken people, right? A lot of them are broken because of things that have happened in their childhood. Pastor's kids, big problem with pastor's kids, rebellious, okay, turning away from the faith because dad said put on a happy face on Sunday, but when he went home, he abused the mom. That inconsistency just does not fly. That's not going to produce awesome kids, right? Grown children suffering from depression because their mom has abandoned them. Maybe their moms were addicts and they made them sell drugs. Grandparents who verbally abused their grandchildren then expect them to respect them. Right? Maybe you have your own story in your head. God is not into that kind of submission or obedience. And I'm not okay with submitting or obeying to parents if that is what you mean. Now, as we look at the verse, children obey your parents, it seems obvious enough in 21st century that children are to obey their parents. Okay? Kids are given to their parents to take care of them. And we understand that a child's life is dependent on the parent helping them. But in 1st century Rome, at the time that Paul was writing this, fathers had within their power to kill their children. We talked about this before. Remember Romulus? the guy who settled Rome, right? And he's one of the guys who had been left at the Tiber River, exposed to die. So when he grew up and took over the world, he decided, we're going to change that situation. That was just really not good. I mean, I made it, but yeah. And so then he makes a law, right? And in the law, he says, okay, fathers, it is forbidden for you to expose your male sons, not that you would have anything different, your sons, 
unless they're crippled or hideous at birth. Okay? The other thing that he decided to do was, in order to be able to reproduce, is he said, okay, you cannot kill all your daughters. You must let the firstborn daughter live. The second and third, well, no big deal. No repercussions, okay? Okay, so in the first century, fathers had the right to kill their kids without any repercussions at all. Okay, so that obedience was really important. Because if you mess up with your dad, that could be the last mess up you ever make. Parents at that time picked spouses for their children. They arranged marriages and they expected their children to be obedient. It was not just through their young childrenhood that they uh, mandated their kids. Parents picked out their occupations for their sons, and their sons were expected to obey their parents. So even in children obey your parents, in 21st century, we're qualifying it already. In our Western society, we say, fathers and mothers, it's right for you to expect your children, especially if they're young, to obey you. Children should not be the judges of what's right or wrong when they should or shouldn't obey you. In fact, it's essential that you teach your children to obey you as their parents. It's essential because if we do not teach our children to obey us, they grow up to be a big destructive force in society. Their lives are a mess. If they have trouble respecting parents, they're going to have troubles respecting policemen, teachers, employers, coaches, pastors, even God. We're not doing any favor to our kids if we do not teach them obedience. This kind of untrained person is headed for a destructive, unruly life. Now, you probably each personally know someone who was not trained to obey their parents. And you, see, you can see the destructive force in their lives is ruining them. But Jesus, our Lord and Savior, even though who he was, even though he had earthly parents, he also demonstrates obedience. Now let's look at this, Luke chapter 2. Now Jesus is about 12 years old. You probably have heard the story where he's traveling with his family. They go and have the Passover, and they're now going back from Jerusalem back to Nazareth, and they're traveling in a big crowd of people. Apparently Jesus was a high eye. Okay, high I meaning he liked being with people. Okay, he's one of those people. Okay, so parents keep going and where's Jesus? Oh, he's probably was talking to somebody about something, right? And so a day goes by and when they break camp, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Anybody seen Jesus? I haven't seen Jesus. He wasn't with you? No, he wasn't with us. Okay, so now they're going back looking for him. This is the passage, Luke 2, 44 to 50. Thinking he was somewhere in the company of pilgrims, they journeyed for a whole day and then began looking for him among relatives and neighbors. When they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem looking for him. The next day they found him in the temple, seated among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. The teachers were all quite taken with him, impressed with the sharpness of his answers, but his parents were not impressed. This is the message, I like it. They were upset and hurt. His mother said, Young man, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been half out of our minds looking for you. He said, Why are you looking for me? Didn't you know that I had to be here dealing with the things of my father? But they had no idea what he was talking about. 
Where's that part of the verse? Previous queen. Previous queen. They had no idea what he was talking about. This is the perfect case of a child who's more mature spiritually than his parents, right? All right. So he didn't tell his mother, listen, woman, I know who I am boss to first. No, he didn't do that. He said, I, didn't you know I had to be here? I mean, dealing with the things of my father. And then the next verse, 51 says, so he went back to Nazareth with them and lived obediently with them. Look at that. So there's Jesus, 12 years old, submitting to his parents, even though he was smarter than them spiritually, right? He knew some stuff that they didn't get. And he goes back there, and he lives a life that way. And the next time we see him interacting with his mom is when he's about 30, and his mom is saying, Jesus, they're out of wine, do something about it. She's still ordering him, right? Okay. So then in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's right for children to obey their parents. God's worked out for kids to be born needy, very needy, very vulnerable. And he places us in the safety of a home so that we can raise our kids and help them grow. Now, in the animal kingdom, there is no other animal that has to be cared for as long as humans. Right? With the exceptions of birds, the majority of egg-laying animals take no part in helping their young to survive. Some fish and amphibians and reptiles do remain with their eggs and guard them until they hatch. Some of them do, like Nemo, the clownfish, right? But once they hatch, he's out of there. Not like in the movie. In small rodents, the mother will stay with her offspring just a few days, and for larger mammals like the lion, even longer than a year. Could you imagine raising a kid for a year and saying, I'm done. It's not going to happen. Humans need their parent guidance for years before they'll be able to survive successfully on their own. God said it that way. So children need their parents' guidance. They need to obey them, and it's right for them to obey their parents so long as you're under their care. Now, what is the difference between the word obey and honor? Because we read some scriptures that have both. Now let's look at Exodus 20, verse 12. It says, honor your father and mother. And then Ephesians 6, 1 to 4, it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, honor your father and mother. Okay, now there's a distinction, distinction between obey and honor. And I believe a child first needs to learn obedience before they can understand the concept of honor. Okay, so it's very critical that we teach our children in the formative years obedience. When a child is very young, a toddler, and they begin exploring, they have no clue what they should touch and should not touch, right? And so we have to get their attention onto something else less dangerous, or we introduce something else, or we say no, we guide them, right? We have to guide them. But they are so curious in such a rapid learning system that they have to, that's how they learn, by touch and feel. An expression that way, right? Taste. taste, exactly, taste. Everything goes in the mouth. So a parent has to channel their curiosity. Don't touch that pan. Drink your milk. Say thank you to mommy. Now, by age two, the child does not really appreciate, they're going to understand your long, lengthy explanation as to the why. You will get burnt. 
you will get dehydrated. You will grow to be a discontent adult. <laughs> they have no clue nor interest. So it's important that parents seek to train a toddler immediate obedience, not escalating with our boys till it gets to that pitch they recognize mom means it. No, way back here. Mommy said blah, blah, blah. What did you hear? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. And it's at that point that there needs to be that sense of immediate consequence for disobedience. Now, as the child goes to three to five years old, they're going to begin to ask the question, why? Right? Okay. Any of you know that stage? The why question? Are any of you in that stage with one of your kids? Okay. All right. Why do I have to wash my hands? Why do I have to take a nap? Why do you take vitamins? Now, don't assume that because a child is asking those questions that they are challenging your authority. That may be true for you as an adult, right? Why? But that is not true for a child. They are learning so much information and data at that time that the way they're going to figure out life is by starting to get input as to the reason and understanding behind the situation. Still can't go in a big lengthy explanation to a three-year-old, three but you begin the process of teaching the why. This is a wonderful stage, but very tiring, Right? You have to explain the why, and not just once, twice, three. You're like, oh, my gosh, about the 50th time, you want to say, because I said so. But you have to kind of, I really want you to keep yourself from saying that phrase. Dial down. It takes them a long time to get some of the whys. Their brain has not matured to the place where they can fully understand the whys, but they're starting, they're starting to grow, and I'm starting to get some of that. They're processing and they're acquiring information. So don't get frustrated. Disobedience at this stage of life, the child's life, needs to continue with immediate consequence, but they need to be accompanied with explanation. Daddy told you not to hit baby brother. When you hit baby brother, that hurts him. When you disobey daddy, daddy has to correct you. It makes daddy sad to have to correct you because you disobey me, but I must do this because I love you. Now, you don't have to yell at your child at this level of conversation. Yelling should be reserved for extreme danger, like, Stop! The truck is rolling down the driveway! That's what that volume is for. It's for football. <laughs> it's for worship. And it's for emergencies. For disciplining your child or correcting them or explaining that's not the best way to do it. Now, this was really interesting. In Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, I was doing some research, and they were doing research with Yale University about uh, children and their brains and the development of their brains. When they're about 6 to 11, they did this with kids between 6 and 11. They told them stories, okay? And so they're paying attention to what's going on to their brain while they're telling these 6 to 11-year-old stories, okay? And when they got to the point where they're describing the character, what they're thinking, what's happening to the character, this brain started going <laughs> and back to the color of the trees, and blah, blah, dialed down, nothing happening. 
And what they've discovered on the whole is that the activity in the social brain of the child, the part of the brain that is used for social cognition, looked really similar to adults, but it had this intriguing difference. That region, the right temporal junction, okay, wonderful, appeared to change its function between 6 and 11. Something started happening there between 6 and 11. It takes a few years. When that brain starts doing something different with the information coming in, they start paying attention to what's socially happening to everybody else around me. How does everybody else feel right now? What's going on in your head? That happens between 6 and 11 starts developing. So for us to expect a 6-year-old to get what we're thinking is not possible. It's not even there yet. And so what they concluded was children between, between about 10 or 11 years old have not developed the brain matter to think about what others are thinking and lack the social brain of an adult. Now, clearly that's different for different kids. You know, some kids are going to develop a lot faster than others. But you know that question, what were you thinking? They weren't. And if they were to tell you, I wasn't, you wouldn't think that was very funny. Right? But they weren't. And they don't get. You know, we work with junior high kids, okay? Like one of the ministries that we work with is junior high kids. I love that, that age group because they're starting to get people telling them stuff that's hurting them. And they're starting to realize, you mean people don't like the way I dress? You know, I got a funny looking nose. And, you know, I got to kick the ball faster if I'm going to get on the team. And they start really caring what other people are thinking. Junior high, really, that's heightened, right? And so kids hate that. Because if they weren't given the social graces to know how to deal with that, they really get hurt. And they're really aware of being not quite good enough. Okay, so once your child understands the whys, they're going to start transitioning from obedience to honor. This happens for kids maybe 8, 9, 10 years old. For example... You find that they obey you, but not a very good attitude, right? They have an attitude when they obey you. Now, when you suspect this starting to happen with you, like your 9-year-old, 10-year-old, you need to say something and do something about it. Because being obedient with an attitude will not fly anymore. Because the brain is now becoming aware that this is affecting people around me. Now, I want to make this point. When we will allow our little children to watch movies where kids have an attitude and in your face, mom. You know what? They are going to imitate that with not really knowing what it means. And then we're going to want to whack. You don't talk to your mom that way. Hello, they're sponges. So unless you watch the movie with a pause button, pause, that is a really bad attitude. We don't do that, do we? What would happen if you did that, honey? Oh, mom, you a wallet me. Okay, Watch it. Okay? The problem is, is you don't have a pause button at school. You don't have a pause button in the Sunday school class unless you volunteer in there. Maybe you should. Okay? Right? And so they see this stuff and they start imitating it before they even know. How many of your kids can 
tell you word for word three or four sentences from any movie. Just like that. <laughs> Absolutely. Try to get them to memorize scripture. They have to work at it. That's a very powerful medium. And we need to be thoughtful as parents what we let our kids watch unless we're willing to do the pause button with them. That was my venting. Okay, now we have at this stage of parenting where you begin to need to shepherd your child's heart. That heart needs nurturing and pruning. And that is what God is always after. His laws, dying on the cross, his Holy Spirit, he is after our He does only that he can bless our heart. That's after. Matthew 15, 18, it says, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles. We need to begin to work at the child's level at that point with their heart. So in this stage, just don't want obedience. We want to work now with the attitude of the heart. Because if we can get that, that works out good. So it may sound something like this. Thank you for obeying me, honey. But it's not acceptable for you to do it with that face. Or the tone in which you said, yes, mommy. That's not right. And we're going to need to talk about what's going on with your heart. Now, what age am I talking about? About 8, 9, 10. Before that, they're just mimicking. So do not assume that they are mimicking with the intent of the heart. They may not fully connect that. So you have to work gently with our younger ones. This process continues until they're on their own. God's not interested in robots that only do what's right when he's watching. Like he's watching all the time, right? You don't want kids like that. They only do right when you're there. And so we need to get to this place where we're dealing with the heart and dealing with honor. If we ignore shepherding their heart, they will disobey us the second they're out of our sight. Colossians 3, 22 through 24. Servants, do what you're told by your earthly masters and don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master, for God, confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. And I know Paul's talking to slaves, but the principle is the same. We're serving God when we obey our parents, obey his laws. Okay, so I'm just going to review real quick. The level of honor comes after you have loved by teaching them to obey. You've explained by teaching them and explaining the whys. And you've won their heart with love, not fear. Now, I have two daughters that are still under our care. Um, Priscilla, who's our fourth daughter, is in college. And so she's making a lot of decisions on her own, right? She's not living in even the same state. But she regularly calls to talk to us about some decisions and to get prayer and get our input. She's honoring us. Our youngest daughter is Mercy. She still lives with us. She's 17 years old. She turns 18 on December the 31st. Now, you know that although she's going to be legally an adult in just a few months, she still depends for our support in a lot of ways and for her needs to be met. So in essence, she still needs to obey us. But reality, many of her values are, many of our values are her own. So it doesn't feel like obeying anymore. 
She's transitioned to honor, to the place where she has these values. Whether she lived in our home or not, she would still live by them. That's where honor happens. Now, I'm not kidding myself. She is 17, and there are some things she wished we didn't put on her. Okay? I know that very well. She wishes they weren't there, but she's still under our care, and so she obeys us, and by that, she honors us. Now, the word honor, kabed, in um, Exodus and Ephesians, means honor, but it's referring to paying attention to a person's reputation because a child reflects on their parent. They reflect on how they were raised. Remember when uh, Bill Cosby said, don't tell him my name, <laughs> right? Because you and your actions are going to reflect me. And I don't want them to know that you're Bill Cosby's son, okay? And in some cultures, this is really important. I've noticed not so much in the American culture, but other cultures where the children really want to honor their parents, right? You guys think of some of those cultures. Maybe you have friends that do that. And they don't want to shame their family or their family's name, right? That's a beautiful thing. I love that about cultures. But what happens is, of course, you do not want to honor, reflect, reproduce the stuff they did that was bad, right? That's not honorable. We want to honor everything good and beautiful that they did, right? And that is honor. We honor our parents when we reflect that which they have taught us, that which is worthy of praise. We honor our parents when we value what they value and live up to their reputation. Okay, we did good. Miss Cindy, this morning I was meeting with uh, one of the ladies from our church, and we were visiting and praying. And um, as we prayed, the Lord just really had us having a wonderful conversation about the Father's love for us. Because remember when I said, when we know that God loves us, this is easy. When parents know that you love them, it's much easier for them to comply, obey, and submit. Okay? And so I, I really feel like the foundation of this passage is love and submission. Cheerfully coming alongside the love of God, God's vision to love us. So Cindy, you come to Cindy McBride, and she's going to... Have some time here. I'm obedient. I get up on the stage so that the light can get me. So. <laughs> okay. Um, the Lord's been blessing me with... Uh, coming into a deeper understanding or deeper embracing of the Father's love. And I just wanted to just share some of what I've had the pleasure of doing in the past few weeks and months. Um, love is the foundation for, for everything that we do. It's the motivation for what we do. Um, if we're not filled with love, we, we can dutifully follow after God but it only um, is an outward doing, and, it, and the fruit of that outward doing is not nearly what the fruit can be if the heart is responding in love and doing. And as, as I've been just sitting at the, the feet of Jesus and, and coming into his presence and experiencing love, 
my life as a Christian, I can just precipice, it was one of motivated by duty all of my life up till God started breaking that. <laughs> but um, I remember the time I was driving in a freeway a long time ago, and I felt this presence. It was like liquid love, and I felt the presence of God in my car. And for the first time in my life, I had a response, I love you too. Mm. And I was responding. I wasn't just loving him because Christians are supposed to love God. And he wasn't just loving me because God's supposed to love his people. It was a love relationship. And that began a beautiful revelation in my life of the Father's love. And, and many of us, we, we know God loves us. And for many of us, much of that is a knowledge up here. And it's not until that knowledge gets down into our heart where it's a response to the wonderful love that then when we're full and assured of the love of God, then we can pray with effectiveness. When we're sure of the love of God, then we have a testimony of love to reach out to others. When we're full and assured of the love of the Father, then we can have patience with ourselves and with one another. And so... Um, right now in the United States, maybe around the world, but there's a move of the Spirit. And the move of the Spirit, God is pouring out a revelation of the love of the Father in our hearts. And just recently I went to the East Coast and I had a chance to wade in the ocean, the Atlantic Ocean. I was so surprised. It was warm. I'm used to the Pacific Coast and it's cold. And you don't want to wade there necessarily, but, oh, it was so inviting. It was warm. And, you know, some of us, we've, we've experienced some of the Father's heart. We've, ex- we've dipped our toe in the river of love, and, oh, wow, that's so neat. That's exciting. Or some of us have gone a little bit deeper, and we've gone ankle deep in the river of love. Oh, wow. Feel, you can begin to feel a little bit of the power and the flow of love. But some of us have gone deeper still. We're we're knee deep. And, boy, you just have to kind of stand hard because that current current is going to take us and take us someplace. But it's the river of love. And that goes goes higher and more and more. And so I feel that as, as God is pouring out a fresh revelation of his love, that each of us are in a place where we can go deeper deeper into that place of love, of responding to the presence of the Father's love for us. And I feel like he wants to do that, that we are his children, and he is just pouring out his love. And, and he's just he's pouring it out as a revelation of his love. It is not head knowledge. He, want, he, he doesn't want to tell us that anymore. He's told us that. It's a heart knowledge, and he wants you to respond. So I think we want to have an opportunity this morning for you to respond to the revelation knowledge. There's a grace of understanding the Father's love that is being poured out on the Father's church. And those of you who really want to walk into that grace of receiving more of the Father's heart, Father's love for you, I think the Lord wants to do that this morning. Thank you. You can put down. Just stay here for a second. Yeah, that's cool. Right. So let's bow our heads for a minute here.
I just sense that some of us really feel like we have failed as children. We have failed as parents. And we need God's forgiveness. And that shame, that separation is causing us not to be able to experience Father's love. Um, Some have um, disobeyed teachers, government, pastors, authorities in their lives work. And it's not because they were asking you to do something bad. That had nothing to do with it. You know I chose to do what I wanted to do, not because it was anything bad. And the Lord wants to forgive you. He wants to cleanse you of that. He wants to remove that power over your life so you can experience his love. He loves you already, but that's like stopping you being able to experience what Cindy's talking about right now. So I'm not going to ask you to stand. But I want you to just come before God. And I want you to imagine that he is here with you. And he's saying, would you let me have that? Would you let me have your disobedience, your rebellion? Would you let me have the shameful things you've done as a child, the shameful things you've done as a parent? Would you let me have them? I don't want you to carry it anymore. I don't want it to stop you from being blessed. Would you let me have that? The mercy of God is here. His blood is good enough to cleanse you. His blood is powerful enough to free you from being disobedient children, from being uh, abusive parents, and that thought the saying, well, I just don't know how to do any different. Let the Holy Spirit have that thought he wants to show you. Don't let that stop you from now just having this exchange with Jesus. Now, Father, I pray that you would now, Father, just take what's rightfully yours, which is our sins. You rightfully have paid for them. You don't want us to pay for them again. And you rightfully want every shameful deed, every act of disobedience, you want to take it upon yourself through your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we say you get to win. You get to be God. You can have that, Lord. You can have all that brokenness. Now, Holy Spirit, come and let them experience your forgiveness and your cleansing and your love, Lord. Let the love of the Holy Spirit of Jesus and the Father come and fill you. Jesus' name, I speak forgiveness and cleansing, and I release to you the love of the Father, that you would discover his love, that you would see his motivation in all that he does, that it's out of love. I release activities this week, at school, at work, at home, 
in your free time, experiencing the love of Father God for you, his acceptance and approval of who you are. In Jesus' name.